we're going to get into our study this evening because there's a lot to cover. I know there's not a lot of verses, but at the same time, there is much to cover. Uh, we are in 2 Kings chapter 2, so please turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. In our study this evening, we're going to learn about the well-known, very famous um, ascension of Elijah. Uh, it's his ascension uh, into heaven. And so we're going to learn about that, where he went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And then Elisha, his protege, his mentee, um, saw the chariots of Israel and its horsemen as, as they came in between Elisha and Elijah, and Elijah was taken up into heaven. We'll, we'll also learn uh, about the, his, his apprentice, uh, Elijah's apprentice, Elisha, being tested whether he will stick by Elijah's side or not when made aware of his imminent departure. And so even with that, what it is, is it's also a testing of whether he can be trusted as far as what the Lord has um, commanded him what he's called him to and so that's sometimes we we think well it's it's uh, uh can a person be trusted as far as uh within a certain ministry but it's more than that because really if it's a call to um by god then it's it's a a, a faith that is demonstrated it's a trust that is demonstrated but it's unto the lord also in this chapter is the healing of the waters of Jericho by Elisha and the judgment of some, as the Bible um, says, some use, but we'll, we'll, we'll see exactly who that is. Uh, in Bethel, when they, remember when they mocked Elisha? They called him bald head. And some she-bears came down and mauled 42 uh, youths. Well, this is the chapter. So Elijah's ascension into heaven and we see how it is that the mantle was passed on to Elisha. Uh, we see the waters of Jericho healed and some use in Bethel mocking Elisha judged immediately. So let's pray and let's get into our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we get to come together and, uh, and study your word. We ask, Lord, that by your spirit you would give us understanding. And, uh, and Lord, as we do consider these um, details of this chapter, Father, that, uh, that you would speak to us, Father, that you would perhaps even remind us of other verses throughout the Bible that would, um, Lord, support uh, what we're learning. And, um, and I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Second uh, Kings chapter... Two, verse 1. All right. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. I know it. Keep quiet. 
So just uh, as far as where everything is located in Israel and what we're referring to here, Gilgal is located between Bethel and Shiloh. So you have Jerusalem, you have Bethel, uh, and then you have Shiloh that is above that. Uh, it's just so you have an idea of where we're at. We're in between um, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea and westward, westward uh, a bit um, toward the Mediterranean. Now, from what we read, it seems that Elijah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exaggerate a little bit, Elijah, just so that we can differentiate between the two, all right? So, so from what we read, it seems that Elijah, Elisha, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel, they all knew that Elijah was going to be departing soon, that he would be going home to the Lord, and this all took place when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. This is when this took place. His departure was imminent, and they all knew about it. Elijah speaks to Elisha as they were leaving Gilgal and on their way to Bethel. So they had just left. They were leaving Gilgal on their way to Bethel. And he was telling him that the Lord had called him to Bethel and that it wasn't necessary for Elisha to go with him. Not necessary for you to go any farther. At this point, you can stay back here in Gilgal. You don't have to go on to Bethel with me, especially knowing that my departure is imminent. It's soon. It's at any moment. But the question is, why did Elijah tell Elisha this? You know, remember that Elisha had been with him the whole time. He had been with him. He had been called by God to come alongside Elijah to be brought up under the tutelage of Elijah. Perhaps it was from Elijah's perspective, his final stretch, and it was his road to walk. It wasn't Elisha's to walk with him, but it was just Elijah that was to walk it alone and depart, even though he had served the Lord for all of these years, many times been alone, standing alone in the messages that he was giving to Israel, perhaps this was one of those moments where he needed, needed to just do it alone. Perhaps he thought that the work was done as far as serving together. But God has had plans and a purpose for every moment and every step that they took together. And it was no different now. There was no wasted or dead time for them. Every single moment had meaning. You know, I love this because it speaks of a devotion, a commitment to continuing in what the Lord had called Elisha to do. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Not to make your life a problem, but... What that speaks of is when a friend loves at all times, he's a brother that is born to fight alongside of you. We need more brothers and sisters who are willing to just come alongside and fight the good fight. And this was Elisha. This was a man who desired to, he wanted to come alongside Elijah and just fight the good fight. Remember when Elisha was called on by God to follow Elijah. 
Let's turn back to 1 Kings chapter 19. In verse 19. Just a quick reminder. <clears throat> verse 19 says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. You see, at that very moment when he was called, Elisha did not leave for himself any way of escape. There was no thoughts. There was nothing that would cause him to go back because he actually sacrificed his livelihood. He left it. He left it all behind. And he served as he was called to do what he was called. Follow Elijah. Serve and learn and follow his pattern of life and service unto the Lord. Even learning from his mistakes. As we know, just prior to Elisha being called on by God, we know that Elijah had made a huge mistake by running from Jezebel. You remember that? But even learning from his mistakes, we, we can do that. But for Elisha, there was no retreat. There was no turning back. Elisha responds to Elijah, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so apparently Elijah believed him because at that moment they just went on. They went down to Bethel is what we read. Elisha's consistency and discipline and commitment and devotion is further tested upon arrival at Bethel. When the sons of the prophets, as we read, asked him if he knew that today the Lord will take away your master from over you. Do you know that, Elisha? Today. Your master will be taken from over you. Now, the, the phrase sons of prophets, we can't, um, you know, we may confuse that and think that perhaps this means that these were the sons of the prophets, but that's not what that means. It means that this was a, a company or a group of prophets that were located in Bethel. So just so we know, these were prophets, both in Bethel and Jericho and in Jordan. Now, even though we see an emphasis on Elijah and Elisha, we need to acknowledge that God had faithful servants who faithfully delivered God's consistent word and opposed the idolatry that the nation of Israel was plagued with. They were called on to oppose that which they were doing, and they did so faithfully. And this is, by the way, we don't have prophets as we had in the Old Testament, but we do have those who are faithful to God who are doing the very same thing today. Calling out that which is idolatry, that which shouldn't be a part of the Christian faith, uh, the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, who are faithfully and boldly standing up 
and saying these things don't belong. We ought to be separate from the world. We ought to be consecrated unto the Lord. So we need to also acknowledge that there were faithful servants, as we read here. This group of prophets that they found in Bethel, and Elijah was interested in going to them and then going on from there. Now, something else to note, Elijah's trip to the Jordan and its parting, as we'll see, is a reminder of Israel's crossing of the Red Sea as they came into the Promised Land, only it's in reverse order. Going from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan and crossing. Think about their entrance into the Promised Land. They crossed the Jordan, came to Jericho, then went to Bethel, Gilgal, and continued on. We see this in Joshua chapters 1 through 8. And, and I have to know that there, note that there are similar, similarities between Elijah's succession, Elisha's succession of Elijah and Joshua's succession of Moses. Moses, remember, he died east of the Jordan and was buried by the Lord. And Elijah will be taken up into heaven also east of the Jordan as they cross back into uh, the, the land just beyond. So what does this mean? It means that the text is emphasizing something very important for you and I. It's emphasizing the consistent operation and stability of God's message and God's messengers in the history of of his people, and serves as a reminder that the promised land belongs to God and is under his authority. And, and that's it, period. He makes it known as they're coming in, and he makes it known as now the succession of Elisha by, uh, or of Elisha um, is known in reverse order as they're going and then they're coming back. Well, the company of prophets confronted Elisha with the question whether he knew or did not know that the Lord was going to take away his master from over him. Now, this was the second test. First of all, he was tested by Elijah by telling him, you can stay back here in Gilgal. The second test is by this group of prophets who asked him, do you know? Do you know this? It tested his resolve. It tested his commitment and devotion to follow through with what the Lord had called him to do. Now, if you're asked over and over by someone the same question, you know, and gives you a way out, after a while, you start to think, well, maybe perhaps I should take the way out. Maybe that is what I, I should do. I keep being asked the same question by different people. And so it tests your resolve. It doesn't mean that what they're asking you is the direction that you ought to take. Any persistency, remember, persistency is not only, and, and also repetition is something that the Lord uses to establish certain truths. But at the same time, realize this, please. The enemy is also consistent. And his temptations are always consistent. They come at you from all kinds of different directions. Now, if consistency is the test by which we know whether something is right or wrong, then it's a failure, isn't it? We need to be able to discern. We need to be able to know what is true and what is not. 
tested his resolve. His commitment is devotion. The enemy will come at you day in and day out. And the Lord allows that to build you up, to purify you, to strengthen you, to help you to perhaps focus a little bit more on the word of God, to get more in his word, to know it. Otherwise, you're going to be fooled. You're going to be taken off the path. You're going to quit. You'll compromise. Well, what was Elisha's response? Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elisha already knew this. He didn't need to hear from the prophets, and yet they told him. They asked him this question. But by his answer, he didn't really want to hear from them. He wanted to hear from Elijah, and he wanted to maintain his focus on his master. At this point, he knew his departure was soon. It was, it was at any moment. We should live with this kind of expectancy. Because as Elisha didn't want to miss any final opportunity to spend with Elijah and to glean from him, we ourselves should live with this kind of expectancy of the rapture and our arrival in glory and remain fixed on Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we know we don't need other people to perhaps cause us to, to go in different directions, to get wrapped up in, in the little things, we need to remain fixed on what's most important. When distractions present themselves, may we plainly say, yes, I know it, keep quiet. I'm watching my master and what he does. I don't want to miss what he's saying and how it is that he's leading me. While well, Elisha's devotion was tested in the same manner as they were leaving Gilgal and when they arrived in Jericho. I'm sorry, Bethel, and when they were arriving in Jericho. Let's read uh, verse 4 as we continue. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. I know it. Keep quiet. <laughs> so same thing. And Elisha did not waver. He was not about to leave his master's side, not now, not until the Lord literally took him away. This was tested two times by Elijah and now by two groups of prophets. Elisha remained steadfast, immovable, and consistent in his devotion to God and therefore also to Elijah. He answered the same way. He said the same thing to Elijah. He said the same thing to the prophets. Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And he continued on. Verse 6 it says, Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah 
took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Well, as they were leaving Jericho, Elisha was tested one more time. God allowing Elijah to ask him to tell him, it's okay. You can stay here in Jericho. You don't have to go any farther. I'm going to the Jordan. But he responded in the same way as he had the previous two times. Same way. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he didn't. They continued on to the Jordan, and at this time, and, and this time, there was a company of prophets, fifty of them to be specific. They did not approach, but they did stand at a distance, watching them, watching the two men go to the Jordan as they arrived at the shore of this river. You know, as God used Moses and Joshua to part the waters. So he also used Elijah to do the same. It wasn't to bring attention to himself. It wasn't to make Elijah great. But it was to demonstrate the power of God. It was a testimony of being in the very place God wanted them to be. Even the high and powerful waters couldn't stop them from getting to God's intended destination. You know, Luke 1.37 says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing indeed is impossible with God. Jeremiah 32.27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You see, sometimes God brings us to a place where we don't see how we can continue. You ever been in a place like that? You, you come to this difficult place place in your life and you think, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can make it beyond this. It's a difficult moment. It all seems impossible. And we begin to think that perhaps God meant for us to go in a different direction, go somewhere else. We start thinking perhaps we didn't hear him right. Or maybe this is the end of the road. This is, this is like where God brought me to. As the 50 prophets and Elisha looked on, Elijah rolled up his cloak. He saw the water. He rolled up his cloak and he struck it. And the water parted on one side and on the other. And it stood on end. And then walked across as on dry land. No issues whatsoever. What seemed impossible now, before now, was not impossible. They were, they were walking across. You know, most of the time we give up too easy. We can't physically see a way out or a way through, and we give up. When perhaps the Lord is just using that moment, that situation, to test your resolve. to test your faith, to see if you truly your actions match your words. I believe in the Lord. I trust in him. I have faith in him. Truly all things are possible with him.
perhaps it's a test to trust whether we trust in God to get us through to where we know we ought to be. We give up on what God is telling us in his word and settle on compromise. Leaning back on the flesh and the world, the intellect, believing that maybe that's what will get us through difficult situations when it seems that God isn't making a way or we don't see movement fast enough. When in reality, he's allowed you to get to the shore of your Jordan. And this is the time to trust that God will make a way and believe that he is genuinely able. I don't know how many times I've gotten personally to that point to where I think, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. It just seems too difficult. When we rest in the Lord, it means that we hope in him. And our hope is not passive, it's active. For us, we simply live our lives as if his promises are good. We continue to move forward. We continue to advance. Like Elijah, he rolled up his cloak. He, he, it didn't bother him. He's seen God move on his behalf time and time again. He rolled up his cloak. Just think of it. He rolled up his cloak. And he struck the water. He knew that it was the other side of the Jordan he needed to get to. They needed to get to. Matthew chapter 9, verses 4 through 7, it says this. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. These demonstrations of God's power were all so that we would believe, that we would know that he is the Son of God, sent by the Father, to die on our behalf on the cross, to atone for our sins. That's what they're there for. You know, there was a man who was an invalid, and he thought that the pool of Bethesda would heal him. But he had no way of getting to it fast enough. He didn't have anyone to carry him in. In fact, when Jesus approached him and asked him, that's what he gave. He gave the reason that he could not be healed was because when the waters were stirred up by what is believed to have been angels, he couldn't get there. He had no one to put him in the water. And Jesus said to him, after he asked him, do you want to be healed? And he gave him that answer. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. You know, God can do anything. Jesus, being the Son of Man, demonstrated this by these types of events, these things, these miracles that he performed. You know, the, the things in our lives God wants to use to bring testimony to the fact that we have the Spirit indwelling us. God is with us, and He's very real. He, he is not 
in your imagination. He's not living in some fantasy world. He's, he's real. He's the creator of the universe. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. With God, all things are possible. I think it's we ourselves that put limitations on what God can do and what he can't do. Most of all, it's possible for the darkest and the hardest heart to be won by the Lord, by his grace and by his kindness. That is the greatest miracle. To have someone that is so hardened to come to the Lord, that is truly what the Lord desires. To believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and to trust in his word for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Trust in his word, trust in God. Elijah believed in his God and he crossed the Jordan as if on dry land. Verse 9 we continue, says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Elijah himself knew that this was his destination. He kept walking, he kept going. Gilgal. Bethel, Jericho, Jordan, across the Jordan, and on into heaven. This was the very place the Lord had called him to. And it would be from this very place that the Lord would take him. And he turned to Elisha just before he was taken up and asked, What, what shall I do for you, Elisha? What is your request? We need to stop and just pause for a moment and think, who is asking the question? Remember, Elijah was the one that was going to be departing. He was a man of God. He was a servant of God. And he was asking what he could do for someone else before he departed. What encouragement. I love this because... And this is the end of his life, and he knew it. What can I do for you, Elisha? Perspective, that's everything. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Apostle Paul had the same perspective. He said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all uh, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As we draw closer to the Lord, as we understand the glory that awaits us, we have no greater desire than to be with the Lord as you draw closer to the Lord. But we ought to have the same perspective, the same perspective that Elijah had, the same perspective that the Apostle Paul had, that he would rather depart and be with the Lord. But he knew that it was for others' sake that he remained behind. So therefore, he wanted to give them ample cause to glory in the Lord. He wanted to give them encouragement to build them up in the Lord to help them to learn how to follow the Lord and walk with Him. Now, how about Elisha, his perspective? At that point when, you know, considering Elijah, and, and, and if he was being, you know, sometimes we reject um, the blessings of others, right? We're like, no, 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 don't do it. We even tell people, that would be going out of your way to do this, Right? You, you, you also, it's like as if you're making up their mind as to what they're going to do for you. And you're telling them, don't do it. Is, is that what Elisha did? Considering Elijah's departing soon, Elisha really should have been asking him, right? Well, what can I do for you? Well, what has Elisha not done for him? Remember, Elisha was serving Elijah. This is the right perspective to have. He didn't reject or dismiss Elijah's question. He honored it. He respected it. And he took full advantage, not in a bad way. Sometimes we think that because others are doing something for us, it's, it's, it's bad or, you know, we're not being respectful of their time or their resources or whatever. No, it has nothing to do with that. In fact, we're robbing them of a blessing. That's what we're doing. But you need to receive it in the right manner, too. You need to receive it well. He took full advantage and asked for a double portion of his spirit. A double portion? <laughs> he didn't ask for anything else. He didn't ask for nothing but what would be necessary to continue serving the Lord. The Spirit. The power known in the Lord. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Elijah knew this. Elisha knew this. He says, that, that anointing, that unction that you have, I want that just times two. That's what I desire. We ought to take note of what these men of God were desiring. To serve God with the power of the Spirit and to serve others in doing so. That's all they wanted to do. That was their main focus. That was their passion, their devotion. Elisha didn't ask for wealth, 
He didn't ask for personal safety. He didn't ask for a position or power among the people. He asked for what he had witnessed in Elijah's life, the Spirit of God moving and working. He wanted that power to do the very thing he knew he was going to continue doing himself. And again, he desired that. I, I won't. Maybe Elisha thought, I just, I need twice what you have. Elijah turned around and I can just imagine, I, I, in my own mind's eye, I'm, I'm thinking about this very moment to where the two were coming together. And Elisha knew that Elijah was departing. And here was the, the master with the student, with the protege, and the master was, was asking the student, what, what do you want? And Elijah told him, you ask a hard thing, Elisha. This is a hard thing that you're asking. But hey, it'll be done if you see me ascend into heaven. If you see me departing, it'll be yours. If not, it's not going to be if you don't see me departing. Now, I know that many commentators say that they believe that just by the, and we'll read in a few moments, the picking up of the mantle or the cloak of Elijah, that the mantle was being passed on as if it was being inherited. And I don't believe personally that Elisha was inheriting the ministry of Elijah, but I do believe that he learned how Elijah served the Lord, and he just simply desired to do the same thing. To serve in a like manner. You know, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. As Elisha saw Elijah, so he wanted to do the same thing. As they were walking and talking. They had just crossed the door and they were walking and talking. All of a sudden they see chariots of fire and horses of fire separating the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Just like that, he was taken up. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And so Elisha saw Elijah ascend into heaven in an amazing, dramatic fashion. In a whirlwind and saw blazing chariots of fire and horsemen. What an amazing scene. This, I mean, this was amazing. Just would fill him with awe. And this marked, what a way to go out. This was the end of Elijah's ministry here on earth. What an example Elijah set for Elisha. But at this very moment, he was also without his master his mentor, and as he cry, cried out, someone who he considered to be his father. And he grieved. He mourned and he expressed his grief in that very moment by tearing his garment in two. Although I'm sure that Elisha missed his mentor and father, and he continued to grieve his absence, there's one thing that he did in that very moment. Something very important, by the way, for anyone who
who is grieving. It's biblical. It's something that we see in Scripture. We see it exemplified time and time again. What, did, what happened? What did he do? He continued. He kept going. Why is that? Why is it that Elisha just continued? Perhaps because of the example that Elijah had set and his own faithfulness to God. Remember, remember our Lord's prayer in the garden? He knew what was coming. He had experienced everything that you and I experience on a day-to-day basis. He knew that he was going to the cross. And yet, he prayed, and he yielded to the Father's will. May your will be done, not mine. May your will be done. Remember when he was teaching his disciples how to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven as it's ordained in heaven. May that be our prayer, that no matter what, that the Lord gives us enough strength and by his spirit, we obediently yield to his command to continue on, to keep going. May your will be done, not mine. We're here to please and do the will of the Father. That's our purpose Verse 13, as we continue, says, And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. The mantle or the cloak of a prophet was the mark of a prophet. And Elisha picked it up to demonstrate that he was willing and ready to do the work that Elijah had done. Now, I was thinking the runner in a relay race does not run the same length of ground that the previous runner ran, right? Nor at that moment is it the previous runner's race. It's his own. It's his own path. It's his own distance that he must run. Together they cover more ground and passing the baton is simply an act of acknowledging one is finished with his portion. And it is now time for the other to run to win their portion of the race. The baton has been passed, but now it's Elisha's race to run. Well, Elisha picked up the cloak and stood on the shore of the Jordan. What did he see exemplified by Elijah as he stood at the shore of the Jordan? The same thing. He believed. And therefore, he took his cloak and he touched the water. He struck it. And he said something very important. He said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked, where is, the, where is the God of Elijah? That's what was important. And the Lord answered by parting the waters just as he had done for Elijah. 
If Elijah believed that the power was in the cloak, he would have just struck the water. But he knew it wasn't the cloak, but rather God. It was his spirit, his power, his authority, and it was his work. If you doubt that God can work in the same way in you that he has in other people's lives, then you too ought to ask the same thing. Maybe, you know, other people, by the way, they look at your faith and they may say the very same words that Elisha said. Has someone ever come up to you and asked you, you know, you're close to God, you pray. Have you ever had someone say that? Where is the God of and fill in the blank? Because perhaps that is what they're seeking. That is what they're trusting in. Perhaps he's a consistent God. Perhaps he'll do for me what he's done for you. Well, if it's consistent with his word, it surely will be consistent with our God. He is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He is here, and he is faithful, and his word is consistent. It doesn't change, and he doesn't change. The question is, do you believe this? You know, C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, And when you have got their mantle, do not waste precious time and lamentations about them anymore. Get to your business. There is a river in your way. What then? Well, go to the Jordan as the prophet Elisha did and try to pass it. Say not, where is Elijah? But where is the Lord God of Elijah? Elijah is gone, but his God is not. Elijah has gone away, but Jehovah is present still. Close quote. The water parted, and Elisha went over. Verse 15 says, Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your, your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley, and he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Well, as <clears throat> Elisha approached Jericho, and they saw Elisha, it was evident that the same spirit that Elijah had was on Elisha. His actions and the evident blessing of God was enough to convince them that God was with Elisha. That's it, period. We know. But it's interesting to me that although the same prophets that had asked, remember these were the prophets that had asked Elisha, do you know that today your master will be taken from over you? The same prophets that asked him that question are now telling them that perhaps it may have been possible that Elijah had been taken by the Spirit of God to another place on earth here, perhaps in our vicinity. And they were asking Elisha, what do you think? We have 50 strong men who are willing and able to go search him out. Interesting, because initially Elisha said, no. Do not send them. But then he agreed when they persisted, and it is implied that perhaps he was thinking, mm, okay, you keep persisting, perhaps it is right at least to look 
but they didn't find him after three days of looking for him. And when they came back and told Elisha, he basically told him, I told you so. Did I not say to you, do not go? You see, Elisha knew. He knew the chariots of fire, the horsemen of fire, uh, the whirlwind took up Elijah, and it says, into heaven. He knew where he was. There's no doubt about that. Elisha was right. He knew that Elijah had been carried up into heaven. He had witnessed all of it. He knew. And it was so. Verse 19 says, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Uh, then he went to the spring of water and threw, threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. So, Elisha, after having crossed the Jordan and come back to Jericho, this was his, ver his first uh, uh, event, his first piece of work that he's going to be doing on his own. And he was told by the people in, in Jericho, um, things are okay here, but the water is bad. The water is bad, and therefore the land is unfruitful. Uh, the women are miscarrying. And there's even people who are dying because of the bad water. Elisha asked for a new bowl, some salt. He went to where the water was coming out from, the spring of water. And he threw it in there. And what he said was held, what he said in faith with the Lord. And because the Lord had, had spoken to him in that moment, he said he was a, a prophet of God who is now speaking what was true is what had the power. And, and the, the spring was healed. The water was good. In fact, let's take a look at James chapter 3. So James chapter 3, verse 9. Because it made me think about this and... Um, for us, I believe that we ought to think about this ourselves as the Lord heals and as the Lord brings us into that place of oneness with him by his spirit and by the atoning sacrifice of his son. So we should consider this. James chapter 3, verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You know, it was God who had made these polluted waters to be fresh and pure. 
It is God who makes us to be pure in Christ. To We have the righteousness of Christ imputed upon us. And so we are justified in Christ. And we, from the same mouth, ought not come blessing and cursing. God makes polluted waters pure. God makes that which is pure be fruitful. And that which is pure and fruitful be life-giving. And it comes by the power of God. It's a spirit that's indwelling us. And so we see the power of God work through Elisha and the waters at Jericho were healed. Well, that was his, his first piece of work there on his own there in Jericho. But then he continues on. He leaves Jericho and in verse 23, he went up from there to Bethel and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him saying, go up you bald head, go up you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Now, these small boys, um, if you go back to the original, um, it, it doesn't mean actual use, as you and I could imagine, or small boys, but it actually means young men. Um, and this was the breakdown of the infantile and evil actions of these young men. And I know what they said in, in, in one perspective, you can look at it and go, what in the world? I mean, how? These, these young men are coming and making fun of his bald head. Obviously, Elisha was balding, right? We think, what, what does this all mean? It just seems almost comical and yet it was so serious that they were cursed by Elisha and they were mauled by these two she-bears, right? Well, they were actually evil actions. They were loud and obnoxious. They were rude and mocking and they were taunting Elisha. They attacked him personally, typically one who has no principle to stand on, comes at you personally. And that's what they were doing. They were coming at him personally. Yes, they mocked his bald head. But when we get beyond that, we realize that they were actually mocking his mentor. Someone that he considered to be his father. And the question is, how, right? Well, what did you read, pastor, that we didn't read? It says, go up, you bald head, go up. You bald head. It's the first two words that they said. Because go up was referring to him ascending to heaven like Elijah had. They were making fun of him, making light of the event with disbelief, with a condescending attitude. They were ridiculing him, is what they were doing. Basically, they were wishing that, that he had died along with Elijah, that he had perished, maybe been taken up. But ultimately, they were mocking God. If this is so, if, if it's true that Elijah went up in a whirlwind, then you go up too, you go up, you go up. 
And so they were mocking God. I don't know how many people just in like, uh, just little remarks, they do the same thing. Um, they'll refer to you as, as a good Christian boy or girl. Um, family will mock you, friends will mock you, co-workers will mock you. But ultimately, who they're mocking is God. It may be funny to the people that they're around. It may be comical to them. It's like the, the funniest thing you could ever say. But in reality, what they're doing is, is they're, they're mocking in disbelief. They're making light of who God is. They're making light of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Yes, Elisha cursed them in the name of the Lord. But note this, he left the actual judgment in God's hands. He cursed them, but he left the judgment in God's hands. Because he didn't stop. He continued to walk. As, as he was confronted by these 42 young men, he continued on. He had more important matters to tend to. But God is the one who served judgment and dispatched, dispatched two she-bears to tear up 42 young men. The Lord knows exactly how to apply judgment, and so we need to leave it up to him to do so. Remember this, his word will always be enough. We don't need to contend anymore. We need to simply speak his truth and continue to walk on. We have more important matters to tend to. 42 verses 1 is no match, but perhaps two mama bears against 42 young men is pretty easy. But we also need to notice that it didn't say that they were killed, but they were, they were tore or they were mauled. Perhaps your translation says that they were mauled. So they were mauled. Maybe they were spared to live another day, scarred, limping, unable to speak, and remembering that day when they mocked and taunted the ministry of God in Elijah and Elisha, and ultimately they were mocking God himself. Elisha just kept on. It's a good lesson in devotion, commitment, tenacity, to keep on going, to be trustworthy, to not be distracted by consistent questions, persistent questions, and certainly not a mocking voice that continues to come at you from all sides. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Know that there are more important matters to tend to. Keep going. Don't quit. Look at the examples around you. Imitate others as they imitate Christ. And one day we too will be in glory with Elijah and Elisha, for they are there. They have already arrived. We'll be there soon. Lord, help us to remember the faithfulness of Elijah and Elisha and to keep our focus on you regardless of what difficulties or temptations we may face. Whatever you intended to teach us this evening, may we never forget the lesson and may you use it in us to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.